Hello and welcome to another episode of Casting Views, the podcast that takes a topic each week and as the name suggests, cast views. However, this week is the next in my regular instalment of Who's Coming to Dinner? And I've got the very good pleasure of having a first time guest on but someone I've spoken to on and off, all, I think we've had a bit of contact, haven't we, on and off over bit, the last yeah. sort of year and 18 months. I've got Jay from the Oki Book Cast. How are you doing? Dan, I'm great. Thanks for uh, for having me on. I'm excited to actually get to talk to you this way as opposed to via text on Twitter or wherever else. Yeah, I think we spoke, probably, oh, it feels like about 18 months ago. I remember you commenting on an episode which then alerted me to your podcast. And, and we'll get into it. I don't want to say anything about it now as spoilers, but... <laughs> Yeah, I found it a fascinating podcast for me to listen to because it's, well, it's something I'm interested in, but it's from, you're very specific about the area where you, you, you podcast right. from. And that's right. something that would not normally be open to me. So that's what attracted me. So first things first, how about if you just introduce yourself and the pod to people listening? Sure. So uh, again, my name is Jay Hall. Uh, I am the host, producer, uh, custodian, whatever else needs to be done for a podcast called the Okie Bookcast. That's O-K-I-E. And as Dan mentioned, it is very much a local thing. So my goal is to connect curious readers with their next favorite book. And I like to focus on where I'm from, which is Oklahoma, the United States, focus on authors and stories connected to uh, the state. So I interview Twice a month, I interview authors and booksellers and publishers and other folks connected to the bookish life of Oklahoma about their work, about how being from Oklahoma influences uh, the way they write, the things that they write. And then uh, once a month, my daughter and I, Hannah Heron, who's also an author, we have a book chat show where we bring guests on to basically just talk about what we're reading and why we like it and why other people might be interested in it. And then I've just started something new. We just started this past month for the other Tuesday, because I realized I was doing three of the four Tuesdays in a month and it just didn't make sense to leave one out. So for the fourth Tuesday now, we are doing a show on book adaptations. So I bring a guest on and we talk about a book that has been adapted to either a TV show or a movie and talk about changes that got made and if we like the changes or don't like the changes. And ultimately, don't ask the question if the book or the movie was better, because to me, that's always going to be the book, almost always. But instead, uh, ask the question, which should you see first? So if you okay. uh, haven't seen the movie, haven't read the book, either one, which one should you do first to get the full experience of, of interacting with those? So yeah, that's the Okie Bookcast in a, a decent size nutshell. I love how... Instead of saying, yeah, there was one Tuesday in the week where I could take a break, you've actually said, no, let's fill let's that up and do more. It just always felt bad that this second Tuesday, nothing was ever happening. Yes, you mentioned that you do this in part as well with your daughter. And yeah, because I was going to say, you've got a couple of sub-series, haven't you? So is, yeah. is, is that your next great read? Is that the one you were referring to? There? Yeah, so your next great read is the book chat show. Uh, about a year ago, so Hannah and I, since she was a child, we have talked about books and she's the reader of all of my children. The others can, they just choose not to most of the time. And so we've always had these conversations and was just, we were just kind of talking one night and I thought this might be worth doing in a more public way and a little more formalized. And so we tried it out, loved it, and have since really enjoyed bringing guests on who aren't always connected to Oklahoma. So it allows us to expand the circle a little bit. In fact, we just had the chance this past month to talk to an author that we really, really admire, love her work, can't believe she said yes to come on, uh, and just had a great time talking about books and 
her work, but also lots of other things that we're really interested in. Yeah, and you do you do have a lot of guests come on, and they are they're always fascinating to listen to. And to loop back to what I was saying at the start before you introduce yourself is, yeah, when I saw that your podcast was or there was a focus on Oklahoma, I mean, firstly, I love books as well. Now I'm going to put my hands up and, and admit to you, <laughs> I probably don't do as much reading as I should do these days, <laughs> which is terrible. We'll come on to it. I love physical media. I love books, and I'm the sort of person though that. I might not read a book for many, many months, but then you read that first one and it's like, I need the next one now, you right. know, and, and it's kind of snowballs. But the other thing about your podcast was because it was Oklahoma and I thought, well, I've never been there. I'm not sure if I'll ever get there. And I thought it's a part of the world. I thought that was an ideal com combination for me just to kind of get a, like a, a view on the literary scene there. <laughs> Which most people from the United States, when you say literary scene in Oklahoma together, would start laughing because we're just not thought of as a real center for that kind of culture. There are other things we're better known for. But as I got started, we've been going a little over two years now. I knew there were some, I had no idea how many. And I think one of the things that's been super fun, I've done 52 interviews now and still have like a list of dream guests and, and folks that I want to get on because there is just a ton of really exciting, interesting, different innovative in some ways, writing going on from folks who are connected to our state. So it's really been fun to highlight those, not just to people within Oklahoma, because I also hear a lot of, I had no idea this person was from here, or I had no idea this existed, but to folks like you, Dan, from all over the world who are being exposed to the great stuff that's going on here, um, which is just, to me, that's the point, man. I, I want to promote the place where I live. I want to promote these people who become my friends. Um, and just share this incredible work that's out there. That's excellent. And, and did you say your daughter's Norfolk as well? Because I know you've, I think you've written a book as well, haven't you? I have. If you want to plug anything from both yourself and, <laughs> and your daughter, feel, please feel free. I'll promise to make this quick because this could be a whole episode by itself. Uh, and I'll start with Hannah. So my daughter, her name is Hannah Heron. Uh, she is a horror slash thriller author, which is kind of interesting having known her her whole life. But she has a couple of books out. One is called Awake. Uh, and another called The Ashford House. Those are available anywhere you would buy books. And you can check her out at hannahjoyheron.com. I love her work. Uh, and I'm not just biased, although I am biased. Uh, but she's a fantastic author. She's also a screenwriter and has won some awards there. So a proud dad. I will just sit here and talk about her for a while. Um, but if you're into um, psychological horror, things that are a little bit twisty, I think you might really enjoy her work. And then my book that came out this spring is called God Help Me, I'm a Young Dad. Uh, my oldest son had a child in March, and I started thinking about all the things I wanted him to know as a dad and decided I'd write them down because I know lots of other young men who are having children and wanted to, uh, it's just designed to encourage dads to um, think about kind of these big ideas in their lives, how to be more loving, how to be more compassionate, how to be more thankful and encourage dads to build a bit into their lives while they're also working to build those things into the lives of their kids. So again, God help me, I'm a young dad. You can get it everywhere. And my author website is jhallwriter, W-R-I-T-E-R.com. Oh, we'll get links in the show notes as well uh, so people can follow awesome. that. But So the obvious question I want to ask then is, was it difficult to write that? Because, you know, and I'm going to say I've entertained the idea in the past and they, I've quickly then what's the right word, unentertained the idea um, <laughs> of writing a book, but it just seems 
the idea to me seems really daunting to kind of start with a blank page and yeah. then get a book out there. So a couple of things, and, and these actually came from the podcast, I think, that made this possible. And, and one that didn't come from the podcast, I was highly inspired by the specific circumstances of my son having a child and wanting to, to share this stuff with him. But a couple of different interviews I've done, one was with a nonfiction author who talked about his process for writing nonfiction and the way he was able to chunk it up. And, you know, if he's looking at a chapter, he's looking at a chapter in two or three different pieces, and then he could focus on writing 500 words, but accomplishing something. Because to me, the problem was, is always, if I have to write 50,000 words to write a book, but I can't write 50,000 words at once, can I, you know, stop and start? But if you're thinking about it in 500 to 1,000 word chunks, it becomes much easier to do. So that one helped. And the other one, interviewed a guy who wrote a book that was only 9,000 words. He was like, that's all I had to say. And it worked and I put it out there and people buy it. And so it kind of gave me permission to write a shorter book. So God help me, I'm a young dad's only a hundred pages, partly because dads don't have a lot of time to read. Uh, but also because that's, that's the length I felt like I could write and not get bogged down and, and overburdened and overwhelmed really with trying to get it done. I love that only a hundred pages. <laughs> right, okay. Right. But I guess so, actually, what you say is really valid. Nowadays, yeah, books and, and publications are pretty much any, you know, I've seen like 20, 30 right. pages. I, I guess it depends what you're trying to say. Absolutely. I never kind of thought of it like well, that. And the beauty of the world of self-publishing, you know, the, the big five publishers, they have to have things at a certain length because they have to be able to justify charging what they charge for it. I'm independently pub published. I do it all myself. So it doesn't matter. Right. I can I can write as long as it needs to be and then put it out and price it reasonably for that length of book. And I get to control all of those pieces. And there's challenges on the other side of it. But I think length is one that is is really useful because a lot of folks, I mean, I know that I picked up books that were five or six hundred pages and just thought I don't have time to commit to that right now. But 100 pages, yeah. I can knock out. And it's just something else I picked up. You, you know, you saying about your daughter, you said she writes horror. Correct. I kind of, when you, when you said that, because, you know, listening to podcasts, and again, it's kind of, you, you know, you imagine you put people into right. pigeonholes and horror writers, you think sometimes, oh, I wonder what goes on <laughs> in mine. But when you listen to your podcast, your daughter's just, you know, one of the breeziest, you right. know, it sounds so, so fun. Right. And you think, yeah. Is, is that kind of what you meant when you said you didn't know why she was well, no, kind of into That's horror? it. I always joke about my, you know, sorority girl, high school athlete daughter who now writes not horribly dark books, but dark enough that they are considered horror. Yeah. And it is just kind of this, it's disjuncted where you, if you know her, or you hear her, as you were mentioning, she just doesn't sound like the kind of person that would write the kinds of things that she writes. But I've met other authors who are like that, that just don't quite fit the mold of what you would expect. So it's kind of fun because it is a little bit disarming. And for just some general questions I'll throw at you as well, because yeah, you know, you're not just here for this dinner party. I've, I've, I'm going to throw <laughs> a lot more questions at you. I love the idea of this book and movie sort of sub-series you're yeah. doing as well. So are there many instances where you would say the film would be recommended before the book? So interestingly enough, we just did our first episode on Killers of the Flower Moon, which is um, a book about instances that took place in Oklahoma. And it's a fantastic book. And so when I got to this question at the end of it, there were actually three of us on, on this particular show. And we had quite the debate about which one should go first. And surprisingly to me, I said, I think watching the movie first will make you more interested in the book because there are things that the movie doesn't get into 
that are really, really important to the story. And I think having read the book a couple of times before seeing the film, there were things in the film that I was disappointed weren't there. So I think if you see the movie first, then the book expands on it. But if you read the book first, the movie, and it has to, right? You can't have a six-hour movie. The the movie condenses what's there. So in this particular case, and I don't say this very often, I think watching the film first is the way to go. Interesting. Okay, tell you what, do you know what we're going to do? Before we go any further, I'm going to, it's normally the point of the show where I'll play a trailer and I'm actually going to play your one. So let's hear from you. (laughs) Are you looking for your next favorite book? Let me help you with that. My name is Jay Hall and I host the Okie Bookcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to connecting curious readers like you with your next great read. With author interviews, book chats and recommendations and discussions about book adaptations, I guarantee you'll find some books to love as you listen to the show and hopefully be entertained along the way. Check out the conversation at okiebookcast.com and then come say hi on socials at okiebookcast. Thanks for listening. Now go find something good to read. Right, and we're back. So I'm getting hungry, but before we get started on not the dinner party, do you have, there's going to be some generic questions I might just throw at you, but it'd be interesting to see kind of what comes out of that. Do you have a favorite genre of books or even favorite author? Is there like a go-to for you? So you're going to hear genre as soon as I start talking about guests and the things that we talk about here. I have been a massive fan of science fiction for literally all of my, one of the first books I can remember reading, and I remember nothing about the book, but I remember it had robots on the cover uh, when I was in first grade. So even then I was drawn to science fiction, fantasy a little bit, and I like all kinds, I read all kinds of stuff, but when I feel like I need to kind of just settle back into something that's familiar or something I, I know I'm gonna enjoy, it is always science fiction. Yeah, for me, if, if it's not science fiction, it would be kind of thrillers. Yeah, love them too. Just something that keeps you turning that page, yeah. So when it comes to reading a book, though, or, or choosing your next book, do you like to, to experiment in the sense of would you pick up, do, do you need to know a bit about the book you're going after, or does it have to be in a genre, or can you browse a shelf and, and read the back of a book and say, do you know what, I'm going to give that a go? So I am a power user of my local library, and I usually go with a book in mind that I'm looking for and always leave with at least three or four. Because I can't just go get that one and then walk away. I'm always looking um, on the shelves for authors I recognize, or I will go ahead and judge a book by its cover every now and then. And if I see something that just looks interesting and, um, you know, that I will read the back, I'll read the blurb on the inside. I usually have my phone with me and I'll look up and see what people are saying about it. But I'm pretty open to trying authors I haven't tried before, especially if somebody that I am interested in has said something about that book. So if it's a thriller from an author that I don't know, but on the back of it, there are two or three authors that I do know who are recommending it, or they say, you know, if you like so-and-so, then you'll like this. I'll take a flyer on those. I read so much that, um, you know, I'm always looking for something new and authors that I don't know. And I'm also not afraid to stop on books. I think that that makes it, that allows me to read more. If I start down the road, I have a friend who says life's too short to read bad books. And if I start down the road of a book and just am not into it, I can walk away from it. Now, if it's an author that I know or an author that I'm usually on board with, I'll give them a little more time. But especially if it's something new, I'll give it a little bit. And if it doesn't work, then I can just walk away. So, yeah, I can um, 
I, I love working across genres. I love stuff that kind of bends genre a little bit. But um, because I go to the library, I mean, it's a weekly trip. My wife laughs when I walk out the door on Friday afternoon, she knows where I'm going. It gives me a chance to just explore and, and get to meet lots of new authors that way. That's a really good point. You say an interesting point about stopping a book because I find that with a couple of things I like. So whether you're into video gaming or, or books, or whatever, you're doing it because you want to enjoy it. Yeah. And there are going to be things that don't agree with you. But I think if you then force yourself, you're just going to begrudge that. <laughs> Yeah, it becomes work yeah. then. Well, yeah, because the point of all, of, like you said, the point is to have fun. And even, you know, like there are classics, classic literature where everybody, you know, people say, everybody has to read this book. I'll never read it because I started 10 pages in. Yeah. And I was like, I don't like this. And yeah. Yeah. there are, I try not to think about this very often because it really does kind of make me sad. There are thousands and millions of books being produced every year. And I can only read so many of them and I only have so many years. And so I really do want to yeah. maximize and enjoy the things that I'm reading and not read something or like you said, play a game or listen to you know, whatever, just because someone says, well, you have to, to be well-read or to be well-versed in something. No, absolutely. You've got to enjoy it. It's like, um, I'm a big fan of video games. I like playing a lot of that. And, and you'll often get some games, some people say, do you know what you've got to get past the first five or six hours and it's like sometimes i'm like well wow. five or six hours that's like that might take me a couple of weeks yeah. so you know yeah if the game grabs me i'll do it but if if i've got to get five or six hours to get into it then yeah i'm probably gonna skip right <laughs> you said a key word actually so i want to kind of as i normally do scrap what i'm gonna ask you next awesome. uh, in favor of this so the l word library now for me, growing up, they were magical places, yeah. right? I loved the local library, right? So, and we had to, right? When I was a kid, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have Google giving us everything. Right. I used to love going to the local library. We had a couple of floors. You've got each area. You had the computer section. You had the old newspapers on the big sticks that you could read. You'd see <laughs> the people there. And I used to love, yeah, going there, kind of doing a bit of homework. But then coming out, like you said, it, you know, with about five books. And at the time, you know, the big stamps, the date oh, yeah. stamps that they used to put in there. Okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm harking back to the good old days, as it were. But they were great places. Yeah. Now, I haven't been to a library for a long time because buy books online, buy books on sh in shops. But our local one here has just been refurbished. And I said to my wife the other day, especially for her, because she, she really enjoys reading and still takes the time to read a couple of books a week and i've said to her well look we should let's get signed back up let's go there and, and support it because the main question i want to ask you is having said all that preamble is over here it is all about kind of like the the council funding and you know mm -hmm. the government funding and a lot of libraries haven't been shown a lot of love what is it like well i'll say in the states but let's say oklahoma yeah. because obviously that's where you are is it is it a similar thing there is it our, you know, I live in Oklahoma City, and we really have been fortunate in that public libraries have been a point of focus for government funding for, I'll say forever, we haven't been around forever, but all of my life, I have lived in a place, and I've lived in Oklahoma most of my life, that had not just library access, but had really, really strong libraries. We happen to be fortunate. The one down the street from us is only about six or seven years old, maybe a little older than that now. Um, so it's beautiful. It is well-designed. It's, um, you know, one of the things that we see about libraries here is that they're not just about books coming in and out, but they really are common places. And so, you know, meeting rooms and opportunities for people to 
use computers who might not have them otherwise. A lot of our libraries now have maker spaces where they have 3D printers and other technology for people to come and use or learn. Library just down the road from us actually has a podcast studio they put in for people who are interested to come and, and learn and kind of oh, mess around with the equipment. Excellent. So um, there's lots of federal government funding through grants and things like that for libraries. There are lots of private foundations that help contribute to libraries, but um, the municipalities, the cities also, or at least around here, have made a significant effort to make sure both in the large cities like Oklahoma City and small towns all over the state have really quality libraries. So Oklahoma, which is a state of about 4 million people, give or take, mostly situated in a couple of large cities, we have over 200 libraries across the state because every little town has one. Now, they may not be open seven days a week. You know, it may be, uh, you know, you call the library and say, hey, I'm coming over and she opens up for you. But uh, there's still that commitment to have these kinds of third spaces where um, access to books, access to technology is available to everybody. I think that's the key thing is the kind of the adapting to the modern day as well. So like you said, the podcast space, I think that's fantastic to do that. But for me, it's keeping what it is at heart. So ours, I think ours, just um, and again I can't speak for the whole country here they kind of just became a bit worn out after a while because they weren't overly looked after like I said now it, this now our local one's been refurbished but I just even remember sort of well last time probably was about six seven years ago we used it one in the next city over they even then started though bringing in the self-service book borrowing and scanning so it was like a little barcode reader, which you know I get is advancing it you make his technology but I still loved actually wanting to speak to a member of staff you want to speak sure, to them yeah. and get their views and on books and and things like that and that, that's kind of what I found I was missing with that element yeah so what's your view as, as, I guess what I'm trying to say sorry before I say is yeah use your local library because when absolutely. it's not there you, you will miss absolutely. it absolutely yeah. <laughs> well and I can't tell you well I actually can tell you so our libraries have an app that you can go to and see how much money you save by using the library as opposed to buying book okay and my tally is in the thousands of dollars a year because I just wow. read so wow. much. And so so I always make sure that we also donate a bit to the library to try to give some of that back. But I couldn't afford and quite honestly wouldn't have the shelf space for all of the things that I want to yes. read. So both to help my marriage, uh, but also to help my wallet, uh, the library is just a fantastic resource. We'll come onto the shelf space very shortly. That is a really clever way of hooking people in to see yeah, the money you yeah. could have saved. Because again, it's like you've said as well, is you would go to the library because I can't remember now, you used to be able, I think here anyway, to borrow a maximum of five. So you'd go knowing you were going to get one or two. But the fact that you knew you could borrow another That's three, it. you would just grab three yep. books. And like you said, if you didn't like them, well, I haven't paid for them. They're going to go back in a couple of weeks time. Yeah. It's brilliant. So shelf space, that is with anything physical is always going to be the right. problem. So for me, a couple of years ago, I got, back into vinyl yeah yeah but i am really hampered by space and especially when just before i got back into it we downsized the house <laughs> we moved <laughs> timing is everything yeah so the question that i was going to ask you leading on to it is what is your view on ebooks i think ebooks are tremendously useful i would rather have a physical book in my hand but um when i travel which isn't as much now as it used to be. But there was a time when I would travel quite a bit. Uh, in fact, um, several years ago, went to Africa and didn't have an e-reader and had 
just a dumb number of books in my bag, which made it heavy to carry around because I knew I was going to have time to read. I wanted to be able to read, didn't have an e-reader. So I think it's hugely useful for that. I do think still there's just something about the feeling of having a book in your hand. And I, you know, I'm 53 years old. So some of that is just that's age and that's how I, how I learned to read. And that's my preference. But I probably, my reading now is probably 70, 30, 30% of what I read is on an e-reader just because it's available from the library and a physical copy isn't. And so I can download it that way and, and read through. Do you know what? I haven't got anything against e-books either. I just don't think I've ever read one. I, I And I've tried, but I, I don't know. I just don't get on with an e-reader. I, I like, as you said, maybe it's, there's an age thing. Again, I find it far easier if I've got the book in my hand, I, I prefer the turning of the pages. Yep. You can kind of see how far into it you're I think at. that's a big piece um, of it, Dan, is knowing how how far along you are. Uh, because if you see, like my, I have a, a Kindle, and one of the settings you can say you're on page of, you know, 17 of 400. So you have an idea of progress. Um, but with a physical book, you know, okay, I'm about halfway there. Okay, I'm two thirds of the way through. Um, or I'm just getting started, but with an ebook, it's a little bit harder to feel that. And I think we lose some of that momentum then because you don't necessarily feel like you're making progress. Yeah. And something else, and you know, this people will probably be shouting at, at their, uh, their <laughs> pod player now saying it's the, the e-reader we've got, but we've just got a basic one. Cause again, it's, it's more for my wife. We bought her a book and it had a section with a load of maps in, but we couldn't see them properly right. on the e-reader. So we ended up buying the book physically <laughs> because it was the only yeah. way you, you could see it properly. And there's something about, even if a book is second, third hand, Oh yeah. Something about a weathered book. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that, that seen, seen a few homes, seen, a, you know, seen a few years. There, there is something aesthetic about that, isn't oh, there? Oh, some of my prized possessions, and I'm, I, I collect books from a particular author who was writing, started writing in the 40s through the 70s and into the 80s, and to get those paperbacks, and they're mostly not in great shape because they're paperback. I mean, they weren't designed to be around 60 or 70 years later, but I love having them. I love holding them and reading them. I don't, you know, hide them away and put them in plastic, leave them on the shelf. Because there is just something about, I mean, if you, know, if you get nostalgic about it, thinking somebody 40 or 50 years ago cracked the same spine that I'm reading right now and read this yeah. and enjoyed it in the same way. And yeah, there's nothing like an old book. A few years ago, I was in New York and went to the library there. Mm. And earlier this year, I was in Italy and went to one of the big libraries there. And yeah, it's like I said, there's just that sense of time that sense of history yeah. when you're presented by these books that are over 100 years old oh yeah and yeah you think what have they seen yeah <laughs> you know? yeah that's it but i'm not going to sit here and we'll we'll probably get on with the main show <laughs> shortly um, but i could talk to you about this all oh, night. I can um, too. i'm not here though saying that i don't think ebooks are great or, or people shouldn't because it's, i think with books that's fine if, if it gets people reading i think it's great Absolutely. and it's portable i mean for me with music i very much a physical format. And and the reason for me is that I find, so when I had finals, brilliant list of music all the time, even CDs had music all the time. Now everything's go when it kind of went streaming, I found myself stopping listening to music. And maybe part of it is that it was all the pick and mix style. So you would buy singles. Right. Now I've gone back into vinyl. I'm listening to full albums again, and that's that's what I enjoy doing. And again, I know you can do it on streaming, but the ease at which you can then just skip past this or 
a band's released a new album and I'm just I only like that single I'm gonna get that one whereas now I'm back to listening to full albums and there's something pleasing about putting the disc on the player looking at the artwork right the gatefold vinyl covers out artwork and for me I think that's in my mind where the difference is because at least with with an e-reader if it's getting people reading then then that's the main thing, right? Well, and I think, and again, we could shift into albums for a long time because I'm in the vinyl too. There's something about the process and the intentionality of putting that album on that causes you to listen to it more where when you just pull something up on Spotify or wherever and click play, that music becomes more background noise because you're not as invested in choosing to listen to it. But if I'm going to sit down and put an album on, even if I'm doing something in the background, you know, I'm doing something and it is background music, I'm more aware of it because I have intentionally chosen it. Yeah, very valid, very valid. Maybe we're going to get you back on anyway at some point, <laughs> and maybe we'll carry on the talk about books and vinyl. If now I now I know you're a vinyl fan. All kinds fan. of things. Let's get on to the main part of the show then. So I've asked you on because you are going to host a dinner party. I'm guest number one. So as I said before, you can't get rid of me that easily. <laughs> trying to tailor it and actually a call out to people if you're listening to this i'm looking to do one of these each month so if you want to be on here and and spotlight your podcast and also have a bit of fun uh drop me a note i'll we'll do the socials after i'm trying to tailor it per per guest so for you what i've said is it's the classic start of main and dessert if you've got a drink for each the last couple of guests have done that so i'm, I'm opening it out there if, if you do like a, a particular type of drink or tipple a guest for each course and for yourself I've initially said it's to be from the literary world and then we've got a couple of other questions later so let's start at the beginning with your starter so tell me um, what we're having and who's going to be the first guest through the door all right so this is going to be a very Oklahoma meal because that's where I am and that's what I talk about and that's what I do so uh, nothing healthy just be ready First course is a couple of finger food kind of things that we are pretty standard around my house when we're having parties or we're getting people together. Uh, one is bacon-wrapped jalapeno bites, and then the other is uh, pigs in a blanket, which is just you know a little sausage wrapped in dough of some sort, bread dough, biscuit dough, and then baked. And, and we're just, I'm not a big drinker, so it's just going to be lemonade all day, which is also about as Oklahoma as you can get in terms of drinking something firstly i'm loving that the the bacon wrapped jalapenos oh, man. do you know what this i do like the second thing but before we started recording so to people listening <laughs> jay picked me up on something i said in a british phrase and you've just said something with that second one which i heard on social media this week so do you call them pigs in a blanket pigs in there? a blanket yeah because here we call them pigs in blankets, which I know is only missing out a, a, a letter. But yeah, I just, I just it's oh. funny how I heard that this week, and then you just said that. So yeah, pigs in a blanket, pigs in a blanket. great. We yeah, we tend to have those mainly at Christmas okay. here, though. So I don't know what it's like over there. But yeah, they're they're more of a Christmas traditional. It's a uh, that's a classic game day food. So college uh, professional football, American football. If, if you're having a party around it, the odds are really good that there will be sausages wrapped in dough of some sort and, and baked um, if you're going to a party like that. I'm all in for those. And the fact they're like finger foods, I always think is great as a starter because it's it's a little less formal. Right, right. You don't have to be necessarily stuck behind the table and it's a bit more social. So 
Okay, so who's going to be sharing those with us? So my first guest uh, is actually the author that I was talking about, uh, and he has passed on, but we're going to bring him back for this party. Uh, a guy named Clifford D. Simic, S-I-M-A-K, started writing in the 30s and wrote through the 80s. He passed away, I think, in 1988. Uh, author of over 30 novels, science fiction. His short story collections are 12 volumes was writing at the same time as guys like Arthur C. Clarke and Isaac Asimov and Ursula Le Guin and Douglas Adams, but never quite had that same level of celebrity and should be on that pantheon of great science fiction writers from that golden age, but just never quite reached the same level that, that some of those names did. Won Hugo Awards, won Nebula Awards, um, has a couple of books, one called City and another one called Waystation that are kind of considered science fiction classics. But the bulk of his work just never quite got to that same level. And I think part of it was he didn't write series. All of his books are standalone. So people didn't invest in the same way that they did in uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy or Foundation or some of these other, you know, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Um, so I think that impacted him a little bit. But he is part of that generation of writers that was very much writing science fiction that was also talking about the social issues that were going on in the world. So a lot of his work talks about war. It talks about the racial problems that were going on in the United States. It talks about gender. It talks about labor and work. And, you know, they could kind of get away with it more when you're writing about it in a science fiction universe because it wasn't overtly talking yeah. about the thing. Yeah. So I would love to just be able to talk with him about that process and, you know, what, what writing that kind of thing was like. He was very much, he's kind of considered a pastoral science fiction guy because a lot of his stuff is, is focused in rural areas and deals with animals and, and people kind of isolated and by themselves. But just a, he's a fantastic writer. If you're interested in science fiction at all, I would definitely say go check out Clifford Simic and start with City or Waystation. And I think you will be as hooked, well, maybe not as hooked as I am because I'm pretty hooked, but I think you'd be hooked on his work. So did you say that he was out around the same time as the others? Yeah. So, so is it that it just got overshadowed, was it? That's it. And he he spanned such a long period of time, as some of these other authors did too, that he he was interacting with kind of the the tail end of some and the early days of others. So yeah, everything from Arthur C. Clarke to Douglas Adams and Ursula Le Guin, because he was writing in the 40s and in the 70s and 80s. And like I said, it just takes that one book by a certain author, like Hitchhiker's Guide, that right. just blew up and that became right. massive. So I'm assuming then, yeah, if your your interest is in the sci-fi, he, he'll be known within those circles. So it's it's kind of like, is it almost like a secret of the of sci-fi fans, I guess? He kind of is. I mean, you've got to be pretty deep into it to be aware of more than just a couple of his works. Um, and I think it's it's the problem of being really good in an era where there are lots of people who are also really good, right? It's it's the problem yeah. of being a, a decent soccer player while Messi's doing his thing, right? Or Ronaldo, that you, <laughs> you're going to get over, you might be fantastic, but you're going to be overshadowed because there are some who are just the greatest ever. And I think that's some of what happened to Simic is he was writing the time of Isaac Asimov. I mean, that's, it's hard to get above Isaac yeah. Asimov. Um, but was equally talented and, and interesting in the work that he was writing, but just got overshadowed because of others that were around at the same time. I mean, well, I, I was going to say it's like a shame, but it's not because he's obviously, he's had his career, he's written oh, his yeah. books, there are fans out there and those books are, are still here. But it's, it's interesting what you say, because I've always thought of that, that comparison with like tennis, because 
you could be like a brilliant tennis player, but then you were born in the same year as Pete Sampras, right. and then that was it. You're always <laughs> playing for a second. Yeah, or the Williams sisters. Right. Okay, that's a really solid start to this. Okay, so let's move then on to your main course. I am a massive, massive fan of fried chicken, uh, which again, very Southern thing. But I've eaten it all over the world. I've had fried chicken in Uganda. I've had fried chicken in China. I've had fried chicken in uh, the Caribbean. And I can tell you that it, the best fried chicken on the planet came out of my aunt's kitchen, uh, who is no longer with us. But so everybody else is playing for second, speaking of uh, the goats. We also in Oklahoma have some fantastic chicken places. If you ever make it to Oklahoma, there's a little town called Okarchi. And in Okarchi, there's a place called Aishan's. And it is, now that my aunt is gone, the best fried chicken in the world. So we're going for fried chicken, but we're going to do it a couple of different ways. Uh, one, we could do it traditionally. So if you want to go the purest route and we're going to have potatoes with it, we're going to have fried okra because we fry lots of stuff around here. Um, we're going to do corn on the cob. But if you really want to go hard, the other way to do fried chicken is fried chicken and waffles. And fried chicken okay, and waffles okay. is, if you know, you know, when you heard me say that and went, oh, yeah. And if you don't know haven't ever tried it, then you're probably thinking that's a little nuts, but I'm telling you, there's something about the combination of fried chicken and a pretty savory, but kind of sweet waffle with some honey involved. It's unbelievable. So, um, so that's what we're doing. Fried chicken, you can go one way or the other, but I would strongly recommend to go the chicken and waffles route. Do you know what? And again, that's interesting because again, as a Brit, been to the States a few times and I've always seen the chicken and waffles on the menu oh, now. To my shame, I've never ordered it, but I have wondered. It's, it's very much a um. Actually, I'm gonna. I'm probably gonna be a hypocrite here because it's very much like you said, a main savory, almost like with a breakfast item. Oh yeah. Then over here we've got the full English breakfast, which I know <laughs> recently on social media Americans have kind of said, "What you eat beans <laughs> at breakfast?" And you know, and it's it's sausages, it's bacon, right. etc., and hash browns, which a lot of people would probably think would be sort of evening things. So. Next time I'm over there, I will give that a Take go. Take whatever opportunity you have, fried chicken and waffles, you will thank me, I promise. I've made the mistake doing this episode again that <laughs> I've had it after I've had my main meal of the day, right. so, but I'm already hungry again. I should really you start going to bed hungry after these episodes because then hopefully I'll, get, I'll feel full straight away. Enough of my problems. Okay, so fried chicken and who's joining us? You told me that one of the literary people I could bring was a character from a book, so I'm bringing a fictional yep, yep. character along for the second one. And I struggle with this because I read so much and there's so many characters I would love to spend time with, but I decided to go Oklahoma. So I'm bringing uh, for this, this course a gentleman named Ponyboy Curtis. Ponyboy is a character in a book called The Outsiders by S.E. Hinton. She is an Oklahoma author. The book is set in Tulsa. She actually wrote it as a teenager when she was in high school in Tulsa. And it is, The Outsiders is a rite of passage for all students in the state. In ninth or 10th grade, we all have to read it, and then we watch the movie. And probably the best known, I would say Hinton right now is the best known Oklahoma author, and that book would be the one that if people know about books from Oklahoma, they know about The Outsiders. They may not connect the dots necessarily. Fantastic book, fantastic film. Francis Ford Coppola did the film. It starred people like Tom Cruise, C. Thomas Howell played Ponyboy, uh, very young Patrick Swayze, uh, Ralph Macchio. So kind of the very early stages of those guys' career. Rob Lowe is in it. But Pony Boy is the narrator and kind of the central figure of the book. He is what's called a greaser. Um, he's being raised by his brothers because his parents have died, and they are kind of the lower socioeconomic class. So they're the, 
the object of ridicule from the wealthier folks, uh, wealthier students in Tulsa. And this, the story of The Outsiders revolves around Pony Boy, um, who gets in a fight, accidentally kills another student, and has to run away uh, with his friend to hide for a while until things get sorted out. I would love to talk to Pony Boy about what happened after all of that. So he, of all these guys, uh, was a little better in school, was interested. He's a reader. Um, he, at the end of The Outsiders, you find out that he's the one actually writing the story. Um, as part of an English assignment, he's telling this story again. And so maybe he became a writer, maybe he did you know, other things, but I just would love to hear more about what his life was like after the events of The Outsiders. That's a really good reasoning. And yeah, I'm really pleased. Sorry, I forgot to mention at the start that I did say you could bring um, at least one character. And that can often be difficult to do. Oh, it's so hard to think of. You've just given me a massive flashback there in terms of that, because I, I do remember seeing it, but it's not. It's a film I haven't seen since I was probably young. Oh, it came out in the early 80s. But yeah, it probably would have been late 80s, very early 90s, I was a teen. It was, I mean, you look at the cast and why wouldn't you have seen that film right, or wanted to right. have seen that film? That's the thing, right? I love the reason. So it is purely to find out, yeah, kind of yeah. what happened next then. Yeah, absolutely. Not just with him, but with the rest of the characters in the book, but because he was the narrator and kind of the central figure of anybody, he would know what happened to the rest of them. So I guess then there could be a question if there ever was a, a book that hasn't come out that you would like to have come out then the outsiders too would I, I would love to know what happens next you know hinton wrote several books lots of books after the outsiders and most of them set in tulsa around the same time and so um some of these characters would kind of duck in real quick do something and then and then be gone again but you never really got the yeah. full sense of who they became or what happened to them later never a book i got around to reading which feels like a shame now so but as we said earlier, these books still exist, so it can always be corrected. Yeah. So, Okay, so that's um, that's a real good mix at the moment that we've got <laughs> so far. So let's head on to the final course then, dessert, what we're having and who's, who we're sharing it with. So again, we're going Oklahoma. This is my very favorite dessert, banana pudding. If you're not familiar with banana pudding, you should be. Uh, but basically vanilla pudding, bananas, Nilla wafers. I don't know if Nilla wafers are a thing in, in the UK. Just little kind of shortbread cookies, how you think about it. Whipped cream. It's the greatest thing on earth. It's it's simple. Um, it, it will fill you up, but just the, the best possible dessert. And if you're having a dinner party, everybody can just kind of dig in, get their own bowl, and, and away we go. So um, we're going to be full from the chicken and waffles, but there's always room for banana pudding. I've just, as you're saying, I've just been looking it up online and I've specifically done banana pudding Oklahoma as well. <laughs> yeah, that, that's right up my street. And uh, something else that you probably should know about me is I really do love my food as well. <laughs> Part of this is doing these episodes is living vicariously through right. other people and foods I've probably never seen before. Collecting recipes. Yeah, because that just feels like, like you said, you can just make a huge wedge of that, put it in the middle, just hand out the spoons and just or ladle and just tuck in right that's exactly how it goes so uh, my wife is very much anti-fruit based desserts she's a chocolate person so when she makes banana pudding for my birthday which is kind of the ritual it's all mine and i get the big bowl and <laughs> it doesn't last as long as it should is all i'm saying <laughs> i'll get into it pretty quick yeah and i think banana works really well in desserts yes yeah because it's not um, an offensive flavor so it just helps complement doesn't it with the texture that's it 
Oh, really hungry now. Um, so <laughs> who, who's coming around for this course? So for this course, I'm bringing along one of your countrymen. Um, Neil Gaiman is another one of my favorite authors. Okay. And maybe one of the most versatile authors that we have producing work right now. Uh, this is a guy who has written fantastic novels. His essays and literary criticism are incredible. His nonfiction stuff is as good as his fiction. He has written for comics. Sandman is one of the great comic runs in the history of comics. Uh, he's done some other stuff as well, different Marvel properties. Wrote for TV. He wrote for Doctor Who uh, when Eccleston and Tennant and I think even Matt Smith were, were the doctors. Um, he's just recently written a show called Good Omens that's based on a book that he and Terry Pratchett wrote that's off the charts good. And just released like a couple of weeks ago a book based on a poem that he wrote uh, back in 2020 about Syrian refugees called How to Be Warm, or I think it's called How to Be Warm, that again, something very different from the world that he usually operates in. But man, I, when it first came out, they did a short film to go along with it. I remember sitting at my computer, of course, in the middle of 2020 and everything else was going on just in tears because of the weight and the power of what they had created in this fantastic work. So and he's got one of those voices that he could, you know, be reciting box scores and you'd still just be wrapped uh, up in, in listening to him talk about it. So would love to just talk with him about writing, talk with him about um, the worlds he's created and just kind of the way his mind works. And he's very socially aware. And I have graduate degrees in sociology. And so I'm also very into those kinds of things. So I think he and I could get together and probably bore everybody else to tears, but have a great time. That's a brilliant choice, and and it probably does fit in, like you said, with your, you, you know, you loving the sci-fi uh, and things like that. And like you said, you know, I've um, sort of many years back, I really got into the comic books and the graphic novels, but that is a run. Sandman is something I've always wanted to and not got round to oh, it. I don't know if it's felt a bit intimidating because it's a it's a big run, yeah. And thinking maybe I just I'll do it when I know I can devote time to it. <laughs> And it's funny when you said that, because I was just looking up just to remind myself, I actually recently bought online, there's a limited edition, five discs, but it's a vinyl collection of Neverwhere. Oh, yeah, yeah. With a signed print by him. So I think it's when the BBC did a couple of dramatizations right. of it and they put it onto vinyl. So again, yeah, I think it's great because the classic like um, radio drama, which feels like an old form anyway, slapped it onto vinyl. Brilliant. <laughs> Let's just recap. So we got... Starter was finger foods. So you had bacon wrapped jalapenos and pigs in a blanket. Thank you. <laughs> With Clifford D. Simic. Moving on to fried chicken and the guest was Pony Boy Curtis and dessert banana pudding Neil Gaiman. Right. So, how do you think they'd all get on? I think it'd be fascinating. Um, you know, Pony Boy, because of the the limited scope of his world, to interact with these two guys who imagine worlds beyond ours. Yeah, might really be yeah. fascinating. I think Simic and Gaiman could really get into it together because one of Gaiman's, especially early, wrote a ton of essays about classic science fiction. That's kind of how he got started is writing for science fiction magazines like a lot of these uh, men and women did. So I think they might be the ones in the corner making the rest of us crazy with uh, the things that they're talking about. So I would just kind of lean in and listen to that one. Couldn't have put it better, actually. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Like I said, Pony Boy Curtis would just be like, why died at what they're saying. <laughs> yeah, and Simic and Gaiman would be collaborating on the next book. That's exactly, and visual. It. That's exactly <laughs> it. 
Okay, so I'm definitely all in on this this dinner party. So especially with the food. So let me know. Um, I'll be over. Come on, <laughs> we'll figure it out. Short flight over. So I threw a couple of other things at you as well, yeah. and I've said, what are one or two must read books for for us all, the guests that is, and and why would you be recommending them? So what I did was pick a book for each of the guests, and I didn't pick one for you, Dan, so you can read all three of them. But things that I thought would connect to to each of them. So for Simic. I've picked a book called Children of Time by Adrian Tchaikovsky. It's a fairly new science fiction work. Tchaikovsky's reasonably new author has been writing for about the last 10 years, just so that Simic could see the next step in the evolution. So Children of Time is this massive space opera. Um, I, I, I don't want to say too much. I don't want to spoil anything because there's a lot that could be spoiled. But one of the things that Tchaikovsky is brilliant at doing is creating cultures within these worlds that he builds. So it's not just ooh, look at how weird the aliens are, but it's watching the way that they interact and the way that they use language and the way they use their environment and really creating culture, which is something that Simic did in a lot of his work. So to see maybe what the next generation of that looks like and, and how that's expanded. And I've never heard Tchaikovsky say that he's aware of Simic or has read his stuff, but they are in that same lineage, whether Tchaikovsky knows it or not. So Children of Time by Adrian Tchaikovsky is the one for Simic. For Pony Boy, I chose a book called The Martian by Andy Weir. And The Martian is about um, a guy named Mark Watney who gets stranded on Mars and has to figure out how to live there for, I think, six or 700 days before he's, he's ultimately rescued. And the reason I chose that for Pony Boy is that The Martian is all about problem solving. It's all about taking what you have around you and using it to continue to progress forward. And so in the, the book and the film, there's a speech at the end where he basically says, it's all about solving this problem and then solving the next one and solving the next one. And then eventually you, you survive. And so for someone like Pony Boy, who has grown up poor, who's grown up with kind of everything against him, socially, economically, not having parents, to just give him something that says, this is what it looks like to just keep solving problems until you get where you want to go, to encourage him as a teenager, an adult or whatever, that, hey, this, this is a path you can take. So The Martian by Andy Weir, and everybody should read The Martian, not just for that, but certainly for that. And then for Gaiman, I, I went a little bit different. I would give him a book called Boomtown, Boomtown is a nonfiction history of Oklahoma City. And, you know, Oklahoma City, as cities go, particularly in Europe, is not very old. Oklahoma City basically emerged in 1889, um, became a city literally overnight. And so, you know, we've been around for about 150 years, which is nothing compared to the span of the cities that you're walking through every day, right? But in that time, we've had a lot of fascinating stuff happen. Just the fact that Oklahoma City was born literally overnight. The fastest wind speeds ever recorded on the planet happened in a tornado that blew through Oklahoma City about a mile from my house. We've had every manner of gangster and mobster and uh, one of the very first sit-ins uh, during the civil rights movement in the 50s took place in Oklahoma City, a woman named Clara Looper. Um, but we also, on the negative side, had uh, the largest act of domestic terrorism happen in our city until 9-11. Uh, when our, our federal building was was bombed. So I would give that to Gaiman, one, just to introduce him. You know, he talks about Tulsa very quickly in a book one time, and we kind of hang on to that, that there's a connection. I would love to read the book that Neil Gaiman envisions about Oklahoma City after he learns how weird this place is. Because I just think, you know, Neverwhere is this great picture of the this imaginary underground London. 
And I could see the same kind of thing happening once he finds out how nuts things can be here around Oklahoma City. That's brilliant. And you know what, you saying that has kind of helped cement in my mind what I was trying to say earlier about why I really did kind of latch on to your podcast. And it is about, because you are so, like I said, so Oklahoma focused, it's about getting a connection to a place that I've never been. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what I'm trying to say, what I was trying to say. And and yeah, and that's, that's fascinating. So it would then be interesting, yeah, to see um, what he would do after that. So, I think it'd be wild. Again, brilliant choices there, brilliant choices. So I did then also say to you oh no there was one more question sorry so if you could transport us so this dinner party you took it from say your house to anywhere from a, a setting from a book is there one that would appeal to you i struggled with this because there were so many answers to this question but i i landed on one that i'm, I'm happy about so there is a book called the kaiju preservation society by john scalzi who's another one of my favorite authors and in the Kaiju Preservation Society, there is an alternate Earth, kind of a parallel Earth. And on this parallel Earth, um, these Kaiju monsters have evolved. So think like Godzilla and Rodan and King Kong and these kinds of things. And in the middle of this, they've built what's called Tanaka Base. And Tanaka Base is essentially a research station that looks out over this world that has these incredible, impossible creatures walking around on it. So I would love for our party to take place in the observation area of Tanaka Base so that while we're hammering on fried chicken, we look out and Godzilla comes walking by or Mothra comes flying over <laughs> or whatever. Because I, when I was a kid, I was obsessed. I mean, obsessed with kaiju. Um, and I would watch those Japanese movies, Godzilla fighting everybody every Sunday morning, every Sunday afternoon. And so I, and still as a 53 year old person, many, many years removed from those movies, still just love uh, the concept of it. And Scalzi in the book gets really, really interesting trying to understand the biology of how these things could possibly exist, which I won't bore yeah. anybody with. But the thought of sitting up there, hammering this amazing food, having these great conversations, and then seeing these impossible creatures come by is just something I couldn't pass up. That is brilliant. I would love that. <laughs> I mean, how good would that be? It's kind of even more entertainment on top of the guests That's that right. you're bringing in, the books that you That's provided. Right. So That's it. I wasn't expecting that. Nobody expects Kaiju. They just show up. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the last question that I'd set to you, and there is one more thing I want to come back to after, sure. was what I like to do then as well is say, because I kind of limit you to, to the guests from a particular um, area, if you were to have any sort of celebs or any sort of famous people from any walks of life, who would they have been? So I'll, I'll do three pretty quick here. The first one, you actually had this conversation in your last dinner party with uh, Jason, I believe his name was. David Tennant would be my, my actor okay. that I would invite. I love Tennant. He's my favorite doctor, which I think Jason was saying the same thing. Um, Kilgrave on Jessica Jones in the Marvel Universe, fantastic villain, one of the best villains. Um, he plays Crowley, uh, the demon in the Good Omens series that, that Gaiman did, just blows the doors off of that. But David Tennant did a podcast during the pandemic, just cleverly called David Tennant does a podcast with. He's the guy I listened to to learn how to interview because I didn't have a clue okay. in the world. When I started my podcast, I'd never done an interview like that. So I was listening to people to think, okay, how do I do this well? What do I not like? What do I, what do I want to be sure to not do? And I listened, I started listening to him and just ate up, even if I didn't care about who he was talking to, to just listen to him. 
And I learned from him that the role of a podcast interviewer, or any interviewer, is to ask questions that get people really talking about things that matter and then just shut up and let them do their thing. And I, the one that sticks with me, he did an interview with George Takei, who's Sulu in, in Star Trek. And a question came up, our conversation started around George Takei when he was a child. What, he and his family were moved to a Japanese internment camp during World War II in the United States. So they were taken from their homes and moved to this, uh, this camp. And somehow it came up in the conversation and then Takei, and I, I timed this, talks for 11 and a half minutes. And Tenet, like, occasionally says, wow, or huh, doesn't ask another question, doesn't interject, just lets him talk. Because the story is so powerful that I think Tenet realized, and as good interviewers we should, there is nothing I can contribute here. Like, I've got nothing to say that's going to be better than what's getting said. And so he just let him go. And I've, so I've tried to be that. I, I want to be a part of the conversations. I want my interviews to be a conversation, but I also want the guests to shine. Like they are the point. I'm just kind of the vehicle for them getting there. So, so yeah, David Tennant would be the first one for sure, just to, to hang out with. He seems like a great dude, um, but all the roles and all the other things and just give him a chance to say, hey, thanks. You taught me how to do uh, this one thing that you probably didn't think you were teaching anybody how to do. That's a really good uh, reason for selecting. And, and like I said, yeah, because people listen to an interview for the interviewee, right? Yeah, yeah. The thing about David Tennant is he has got that striking look, isn't he, in terms of those eyes, oh, yeah. you know, deep eyes. And when you look at kind of the range of work he's done, he's just another one of those people that seems to be able to do it all. Okay, so speaking of his look, have you seen the Twitter profile David Tennant as a Fennec Fox? <laughs> no. Go look it up when we get done. Um, or look I'll it up now. It. Um, but it's basically people have taken pictures of Fennec Foxes and put them against pictures of David Tennant and just <laughs> matched up expressions. And last I saw, they had like 500 um, posts of different Fennec Fox love people sure. that could do that. I know, that. like who, <laughs> who was sitting around one day going, hey, you know what? But anyway, David Tennant, uh, yeah. I don't remember exactly the handle, but something, I'm sure if you search David Tennant Fennec Fox, it's going to show up. Yeah, yeah. Who's next? So my second one, I am a massive baseball fan, played it when I was a kid, coached my boys in baseball for, gosh, almost 20 years um, because they're age gaps. Love baseball. Love the Chicago Cubs. I know for those who are in the know about baseball that you now have pity for me because being a Cubs fan is tough. But one of my favorite Cubs personalities is a guy named Ron Santo. Santo played for the Cubs in the 60s and early 70s, played third base, was a nine-time All-Star, was a fantastic baseball player, was a member of the team that orchestrated one of the worst collapses in the history of professional baseball and ended up not making the World Series when they should have. Uh, in 1969, but then in the 90s became the radio voice of the Cubs. So finished his career in the 70s, in the 90s became the radio voice of the Cubs. And for about 20 years until he died in 2010, yeah, 2010 was just a part of the organization. Um, had diabetes while he was playing. And so was one of the first um, professional athletes to try to navigate that while also being a, a phenomenal athlete. And he's just one of those guys, he and I could sit around forever and just talk about memories. I mean, I've been, I've been following the Cubs. I'm not as old as him, obviously, but I've been following the Cubs since the 80s. And so to, to talk about the highs and the lows and the collapses and what it was like being around those teams. And then in 2016, the Cubs won the World Series, which is something that hadn't happened in 108 years. And I would love to sit down with Santo and talk with him about what that means to him. Because I know what it means to me as somebody who'd been a fan for 40 years and it finally happened. 
But for someone like that, who his entire life has been this organization and has been mired in futility for most of that time to get to the absolute pinnacle of the sport, I would love to be the one to tell him about it and to just talk and, and watch his reaction. Sport is another one of those things that has a huge impact on, oh, on yeah. your life, doesn't it? It's oh, both yeah. memories from kind of like childhood, even through to adulthood. So yeah, I totally get that. And then my last one is I just jump all over the place. Um, I want to bring in my favorite musician because what's a party without music, right? So my last guess is going to be Stevie Wonder. Okay. I'm, okay. I'm Something of a musician was more of a musician when I was younger. Uh, have always, I mean, like since the 70s when I was hearing him on the radio, have always been fascinated by Stevie Wonder. I uh, had the chance to see him live about eight years ago uh, and just sat with my jaw on the floor for three and a half hours as he blew through uh, the songs in the Key of Life album. One of my all-time favorite artists, a musician, maybe unmatched uh, in terms of, of folks who are alive now doing, doing music, uh, but also just a, a genuinely human person who is really interested in what's going on in the world and so encouraging of people to be good to each other, whether it be about race or about class or about whatever. So to bring him along, we wouldn't force him to play the whole time, but there would probably be a keyboard and a harmonica over in the corner just in case he felt like he needed to go over and uh, you know give us some music to, to watch Godzilla to. Really good, solid choices again there. Can't, can't argue with those. So before we wrap up, there was something you said that triggered a question in my mind that I had when I was listening to one of your latest episodes. So I don't know how far in advance you record sure. and release. It was in, I think it was your greatest, your next read, sorry. And it was your daughter saying that she, when she went around London, visiting the bookshops in London and she came away from some yeah. books and they kind of hit a chord with me because, you know, in London and some, you know, obviously the other big cities here, you can find some really great little bookshops. And I love whether it's here or abroad, stumbling across a bookshop, whether it's brand spanking you or if it's dusty shelves yeah. you know and 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 you know there's that smell of the old books are there places in like oklahoma that you know you'd recommend or are they the go-to places even bookshops for yourself rather than libraries so we have we are really fortunate and i can't explain why this is true but i'm glad it is we have so many independent bookstores in oklahoma um and it, it's kind of unusual because again we're not really known for reading a lot but uh, several great ones. Most of them are newer, so they don't have that old book kind of, of sense. There was a place in, in Kansas City, which is not in Oklahoma, just to be clear, called Spivey's that was this old house. And I think what happened is this guy just collect, kept collecting books and eventually realized I should just go ahead and start selling these because every square inch of this old three-story house plus a basement is just covered in books. And it's organized kind of but it's mostly just like this magical mystery. You just walk in and whatever you find, you can find. And I love spaces like that. And I can get lost in them for a long time just because you are tracking through the history and there's so much that you're almost shocked that ever got printed because like, why does this book exist? Who, who ever bought this? But then you find these treasures and that's, that's where I found. I have a, speaking of, of Simic, I have a first edition paperback of City that came out in 1952 that I just stumbled across in a used bookshop. And I don't think they knew what they had, which worked out in my favor because it only cost me a couple of bucks. But, you know, I, I love spaces like that. I wish we had more of them that were kind of those older. But again, Oklahoma City is not that old. And we tend to 
pave over and start again. And so we don't really even have a lot of buildings that are that old in the city because we tear it down and renew and, and, and build, build something new. So we have fantastic bookstores. I love our independent bookshops, but nothing like, you know, some of the stores in Europe that have been doing that thing for literally hundreds of years. And like I said, it's often for me, it's the passion of the people that are running them yes. as well. Slightly different because again, it's on the vinyl theme, but I was in Vegas at the start of the year and I met Antonio from the Cultworthy uh, podcast. Yeah. He, he flew over because he's in the next day over and it was the last day of me being there. There's another podcast, a friend of his that he had a said he's got a record store. Uh, I think him and his father owned a record store in Vegas, which is off the strip. And you drive up to it and it's an unassuming green building. And you go in and it's, as you said, this is what triggered the memory is that it's like a converted house. And it was literally everywhere you look, wall to wall, floor to ceiling, records. Yeah. If I'd have had a week there, <laughs> I, I still wouldn't be able oh, to, yeah. to uncover a fraction. Oh, so yeah. I don't, I'm not sure I'll ever be there again. But if I, if I do, I'm going to make a, a beeline to go to it because again, it was just seeing the, the breadth of albums, the, the, the age of them, the kind of artists that you'd not heard of, the, the yeah. artists that you have heard, yeah. the different recordings that you'd not known. And, and like I said, it's the, it's a, the passion and the knowledge of the people running it that you want to, you know, I could probably just sat there and spoke to them oh, for yeah. a few hours, but I had to get a flight home. <laughs> well, and that's some of my favorite interviews are with booksellers. I've probably talked with, I don't know, half a dozen or more different independent booksellers around the state. And I, I love talking with them because most of them have a particular genre or niche that they try to fit their, their bookstore into. And so they might be more focused on sci-fi and horror, or they might be more focused on, uh, I have a friend who has a bookshop that one of their primary shelves is books that defy genre. And it's just whatever weird okay. things they yeah. come up with. And I love talking to them, partly because I learn about so many books I would never have known about otherwise, but also I just love the passion. And, and, and you can, and in our conversation, right, we, we start talking about this stuff and we get stirred up and it's the kind of stuff that causes you to move, move up in your chair and lean in and, and start <laughs> talking louder. Uh, and it's so yeah, fun yeah. to be in those conversations with people who are passionate. Well, look, it's been brilliant. And I'm looking at the time. I can't believe it's... it's... I know. We've gone on. No, but it's brilliant. I hope you've had a good time. It's been Absolutely. fascinating talking to you. Well, this was so fun to think about. Like I said, really glad you, you accepted the invite. So before we go, do you just want to give people, um, again, shout out your socials or any websites sure. or anything where they could find you and your work? So the good news of being called the Oki Bookcast is it makes everything really easy because there's nothing else like it. Uh, so all of my social media handles, and I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, on threads kind of, uh, is at Oki Bookcast. And again, that's O-K-I-E and then B-O-O-K-C-A-S-T. Website's also easy. It's okiebookcast.com. And from there, you can get access to all of the things we do, the next great read shows we do with my daughter, uh, the book adaptation shows. We also have an audio poetry anthology that I didn't talk about that comes out once a quarter. So you can get access to that. And you can also link from there to my author site and to Hannah's author site and find out more about our books. Brilliant. And I do, I really do recommend you check it out if you haven't already, because like I said, even if you've, you've only got a passing interest in, in reading it, it really is a good listen. And for me, if you want to come on and you've heard uh, Jay put a, a really good dinner party across to me, if you feel you could do the same, drop me a note at castingviewspod at gmail.com or just search for Casting Views on all the, the social media platforms. You can get hold of me there. 
before we go, anything else you want to shout out? I think that's it. I just really appreciate the chance to come on. Like I said, this has been so much fun to think about and just kind of rack my brain about who I would bring and what would we eat. Uh, but also just love getting a chance to, to sit down and spend some time talking with you, Dan. Thank you very much. And likewise. Okay, we'll end the episode there. Take everyone listening, take it easy and I'll see you next time. If I want your opinion, I will give it to you. Come on, check what we've got, cause you need it, don't make us get